I was listening to the words of that song again that we played at the beginning of the service. It says something about we need each other. One big family. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Did you catch that line? We need people when we are good. And we need people when we are bad. And we need people when we're ugly. As much as we don't want to be around people, as much as we don't uh, think they'll want us around, we need them. We need each other. One line in there says, we need each other. Fathers and mothers. You know, you need, you need a family experience in the kingdom where there's a spiritual father, a spiritual mother to help you walk along. It says we need brothers and sisters. We need people who are kind of in the same spot we are, who would just grab a hold of arms with us and walk with us through stuff. You know, we need friends, it says in there. We need that. And kind of the next couple of weeks, we'll be kind of tying those in together and trying to tell you where you can find your place. If you weren't here last week, um, we talked about the, the first piece of the puzzle. It's right right there. I, I'm kind of slow. And so it took several other people saying, hey, the connection part of this has to be a needs to be a puzzle. And I went, oh, yeah. Well, you notice the thing? And I, I was thinking like electrical outlet, you know, internet, are you wired, you know, connection thing, and everybody else around me is going, Aaron, it's a, we need, you need to, it's, it's, a, it's a puzzle piece, we gotta, we gotta find our place to fit, and I'm like, oh man, I didn't even think of that, that's craziness, and so we started working on this puzzle last week, the love God piece is in there, the foundational piece, remember we talked about last week, the Savior had a connection group, Jesus had his own little group. He would go out and he would speak and he would share from his heart to thousands of people, even hundreds at times and in and, 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 and larger settings. But he would always give, give the best morsels, the deepest revelation, the, the, the most transforming truth. He would, he would pull those 12 guys aside. And even one part, he goes, he goes, it's not been given to them, though, all the things about the kingdom. But he said, he looked at them and he went, but I'm giving them to you. He would go up to the, 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 the Mount of Transfiguration and only have a small group next to him. And that's the place he would be revealed with the glory that he had in the beginning with the Father, with Moses and Elijah. Just a, just a small group of people around. See, in my mind, I'm thinking if I were God, I wouldn't like everybody to know. And so I would do that to Jesus right out in front of everybody. You know what I mean? I'm just, boom, I let the glory shine. And, but God, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And his ways are not our ways. And I, I, I thought about that. I thought, what was God trying to do? You know, I think Jesus was building there. I think Jesus was building that thing that he would start, that he would really unleash in Acts chapter 2. That, that, that there would be a corporate place of growth and there would be a close, intimate place of growth as they met from house to house. And he said, I'm not going to show everything all at once. I'm not showing everything. You've got to get close to the other people. You've got to get close, closer to me. And we're going to find out together and journey together through this thing called life and the gospel and the kingdom. And he's beginning to build that, 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 that foundation right then and there. Because he could have. I mean, think about it. In Matthew 16 is where he, he, he lets it be known that he is the Son of God. And guess how many people are around? 11, 12. That's it. Every place else he's going around saying, I'm the Son of Man. And then finally in one setting he goes, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm the Son of God. You're right, Peter. Flesh and blood hadn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And there's all of 12 people around. See, again, I'm thinking, I would, like, Why? You know what I mean? Why, why, why there? Why don't you do that like when you're coming in on the, the donkey and the palm branches are being waved and all that stuff? Why don't you do that? And he, 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 was setting a, he was setting a precedent. He was setting a foundation. He was setting things in motion that we would grow with and grow by. You know, it, it, we learned last week that as a disciple, as a follower of Christ, a person giving themselves to the, to the Lord Jesus, you, you have five primary purposes. 
to worship, to discipleship. You are called to um, walk in fellowship, ministry, and evangelism. I almost forgot the now, everything else kind of bleeds out of them. And we talked last week how, the, how in a closeness of a setting, we can grow in the very first commandment. Jesus said, go teach him all the things I've commanded. And he said, the greatest commandment is this. What? This is the first and greatest commandment. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says not that this is not just a commandment. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says this is the commandment. No other commandment but this one. The commandment is to love God. And so he said, go, go and teach everything I commanded you. So the very first thing the disciples will go share is how that we need to what? And they start doing that. They start sharing in a large setting, but they, thousands of people are coming to Christ. You might want to turn to Acts chapter 2 because we're going back there. So just so you know, you can catch up with me. Um, and it, thousands of people are added to Christ, and they, be, they meet daily in a temple setting, in a corporate setting, and they meet daily in a house setting, in a close setting. And they continue, the Bible says, in the apostles' doctrine. And it says, here's what, here's what we learned last week. Worship and discipleship are the two things that help us with this commandment. Worship is the love element. Worship is giving of yourself wholly to God because you love him so much. And we talked about how in a close group you can, you, you, you can learn how to love him better. And you are propelled, you are provoked, Hebrews chapter 10 says, to love and good works. That's where the discipleship element comes in. See, you can't have worship without good discipleship. You can't really know how to love God unless you are truly disciple and understand the pattern. You also can't be a good disciple unless you are really about worship, which means it's not just about keeping the rules. It's about the heart behind the rules because you love him. Do you get that? Is that too fast? Don't need to step back and go slow. Worship is this. You love God. You give your whole self to him. Discipleship is this. Discipleship is understanding the pattern Jesus left, which means you have to learn something, and applying it, obeying it. Okay? And Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? So the two are inextricable. You can't pull them apart. So that's where we left off last week. You know what all of us are longing for? I talked about it right at the beginning. We're all longing for a place to belong. Aren't we? Aren't we just trying to find a place where we feel like we matter, where we fit in? That's where we're going, a place to belong. Help me, man. I'm having problems. In the beginning, think of this. We're going to go clear back to Genesis. We were back in Deuteronomy with the law last week. and talked about the Now this week, we're going to go clear back to Genesis. Okay? Clear back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, God, said, God creates man. The Bible says, let us make man in what? Our image. That's Genesis chapter 1. And the Bible talks about how he made man. Genesis chapter 2 kind of expands on that and kind of describes the whole scenario. And in Genesis chapter 2, God is interacting with Adam, Adam's naming the animals. You know what's going on in that chapter? And, and, and God makes a statement. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, these words, God saw that it was not good for Adam to be alone. And most of us just breeze right by that. God, you know what's amazing about that, that statement to me? Think about this. The Bible tells us that God would come to the garden in the cool of the day, and he and Adam would interact. 
So how is Adam alone? Hmm. Got us a problem here. Because we know if God said it, it's true. Adam must have been alone. I'm thinking, again, I'm thinking, in my way of thinking, I'm thinking, dude, God's in the house. What else does a dude need? Huh? What else does a guy need? The, the father's right there every day. They're talking. They're hanging out. And it reminds me of an old story. You guys may have heard this story. There's this little girl. Every night, she's petrified to go to bed. She's scared of the dark. And mom and dad do everything imaginable. They start with, like, leaving every light in the house on just to get some rest. You know what I mean? They're, 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 they're talking, they're going and praying with her. They're doing everything they can just to get this girl to be calm during the course of the night, right? And so they, they, they wean it down, wean it down. The first they're turning off the lights in the hallway, then the, the bedroom light's still on, you know? And then they, the next night they're kind of like, let's turn off the bedroom light. And then they leave a little nightlight thing on. And this girl is still just like petrified and scared to death. And, and the girl looks at, the mom walks in and goes, you know, we're praying for you. What are you scared? You know there's nothing in this room except your toys and your bed and all that stuff. And she goes, she goes, and don't you know that Jesus is with you? The mom says to the little girl. And, then, and, and, and as a way only a child could, could reiterate it, she, she goes, yeah, mommy, but sometimes I need Jesus with skin on. See, I think that was what Adam's deal was. It was nice having God there. But God knew somehow Adam needed a, a human connection. Great having God in the garden. Wouldn't you think? It'd be awesome. But yet at the same time, God wired Adam in such a way that he needed somebody else. And so God's remedy, follow me, Jason, God's remedy for this problem is this. His, pro, his remedy was this. He created what? He created a family. He goes and makes Eve just like Adam needed her to be. And then they have a child and several children. And they create a family. And so God's answer to the aloneness problem is what? Create a family. Am I right? Some of you are, are walking around spiritually feeling lonely. Spiritually feeling disconnected. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to fast forward from Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to breeze into the New Testament real fast. Are you with me? And think about this. Move to the next point, Jay, Jason, if you're with me. After the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, I would add this, and the ascension of Jesus, God starts another creation. He's doing something brand new. He creates this thing called the church. And you know what he does? He still realizes it's not good for humans to be alone. They have the Holy Spirit now. The Holy Spirit's been poured out. But you know what he recognizes? They still need that interaction. They still need that cohesion with other people. And so you know what he does? He, he moves, listen to this, he began to use family terminology. Think of this. Paul writes in the epistles, because of what Christ did for us, we can cry, Abba, Father, which means Daddy, which trust me, in the Old Testament there was such reverence, you just didn't call him that. You just didn't. There was no way you were calling God. In fact, they were scared to say his name. They were so reverent. So there was not this, this real close interaction, personal thing. But all of a sudden, think about it. The disciples come to Jesus. They teach us to pray. And what's the first word Jesus uses? Our Father. I think that all by itself was probably like, the Pharisees and such were like, dude, what is, what, 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 what is he doing? 
He's creating a whole new paradigm. He's doing something completely different. Think about this. Paul writes several places. Think about the epistles. He, he begins by writing to them, brethren. Does he say those words? Other places he says, we are sons and daughters, right? He begins to say, hey, loved ones, dearly beloved. Several places he's creating this atmosphere. God, through the writing of Paul and Peter and John. John's all about the love of the brother. And you ever remember 1 John? And you're, he's creating this, this foundation saying, listen, we're creating a new family here. I got a solution for your aloneness problem. I want you to be in a new family. But you know what? It's hard for us to make that connection. Listen to these words. We need this large setting. You know why we need that? Because we, we have also have the need. We have the need to know that we're involved in something that's bigger than us. We need to be committed to something that's moving and going somewhere. So when we come to the corporate setting, it's like, dude, it's like the pep rally. Yeah! You know? It's like getting, getting, smashing into to, to, to the shoe or to St. John Arena or to Value City Arena like the night before the Michigan game. And we're just like, yeah! You know, everybody's crazy and we're all going the same direction and we're going to win and there's victory on the horizon and that's what this kind of a setting is supposed to be. Oh, we can go out and take on the enemy, man. We can win this thing and it just gets you all amped up. But you know what else we also need? We need a closer place where we can find that we're accepted. We need a place where our input matters. We need a place where we find that we have value, that we're not just a face in the crowd. Am I right? Don't we, aren't we wired that way? Don't you long for somebody appreciating your opinion? Or valuing your contribution or something like that. And how often do we get that in a, in a realm, in a setting like this? Not very often. I, I, I want to, do you see this right here? We, we hung this banner several months ago, probably a year ago or so, a little more than that. Of all the banners in the whole place, I received more grief about that one from people. One point, I almost thought about taking it down. That's the honest truth. I thought, man, I don't know if that thing is worth all that. You know what I felt like? The Lord reminded me. He said, Aaron, what is the gospel about? I was kind of frustrated one morning leaving church and had somebody approach me about it. And I said, Lord, I just felt like that was you. You wanted people to know how much you love them. He said, Aaron, that's, that's what the gospel is. John 3.16 tells you that you matter. God so loved who? The world that he did what? Gave his what? Dude, if you don't think that you matter after reading that, you got problems. And I like the fact that it looks like, almost looks like that, that, that Michelangelo deal from the Sistine Chapel or something, that picture that, that Thomas and those guys chose to put that behind there, that connection. Because that's what the gospel is. It's about the fact that you, every one of you, are significant. You are created in the image of God, like we talked about in Genesis chapter 1. And he loved you so much, he paid the ultimate price to get you to a place where you and he could reestablish relationship, and you could find your place to fit. So listen to me. I don't care if you like that banner or not. That's the gospel. That's why we're here. Because we want people to know, people coming and going out that door, 
before. They've been hit, dealt with big things in life. They're wondering if they're significant. They're wondering if they're loved. They're, and the first thing they walk in and go, says, those two words, walk in that back door, you matter. Oh, my goodness. The world's telling them they don't matter. Their vote doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. Nothing, and you're just going to look. Speaking of voting, you know what Tuesday is, right? Be a good Christian and go do something significant and get to the voting booth. That's free. First service didn't get that. So you guys get something special today. Okay? Pray about what you're supposed to do. Take your morals and your convictions. Please do this, regardless of what the media says. Take your morals and your convictions. Take the Holy Bible, if you want to, in there with you, and vote according to what the Holy Spirit tells you to do based on His truth. Are you with me? Okay, that's, I'm going to get off of that soapbox for a minute. So, we're looking for a place to belong. So let's go to Acts chapter 2. Are you with me? Let's go to Acts chapter 2. So I can get this thing to work. You're with me. All right. The church of Acts, an excellently loving family is what the, the subheading should be there. They continued in, they continued in, the, the apostles' doctrine. We talked about last week what that, what that doctrine was. To love God first. The next one, check this out. Making all disciples, followers of Christ. I do all things I can make. The next part of the doctrine is this. Check this out. You want another puzzle piece? Can we fill in the puzzle? One more piece? You want that? Are you with me? You don't sound like it to me. I love this setting right here because you know what? It reminds you of home. Got your nice comfy chair, little end table, little phone thing so you can make your connections. Can't find the remote, absolutely, Rick. Rough day for the man, I know. I'll lay mine over here when we're done. And we're trying to make the connection. So here we are. I'm not going to show you what it is just yet. All things I've commanded you. He starts off by saying, Psh, love God, right? That's the foundational principle. This fills up the whole bottom. Everything else rests on this thing right here. So Jesus, in Matthew 22, starts off, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And he goes on to say, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. So the next piece of the puzzle is this piece right here. Are you proud of me, Burl? Love God, foundation. I, had a little, I struggled with that a little bit in the first service. <sighs> love God. That's why I asked Burl if he was proud of me. Love others. These on... Everything else in the kingdom, everything else where obedience is concerned, everything else rests on these two pieces right here. Loving God and loving others. You know, what's the best, let, let me think of it in this terms. What are the best, what's the best way to love someone? Think about the people you really love in life. Think of, think of the people who matter the most to you. Where, where, do you, where, do you, where do you find most of them? What is that? At home. Isn't that funny? God starts the church off in Acts chapter 2. Let's read it. 
Then those who were gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Verse 42 we're in. And fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now listen to this next line. Now all believed and were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and their goods. They divided them among them all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Now listen to the next line. This is the corporate setting we're talking about. And then breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Oh, my goodness. Don't you want to be a part of something like that? The first verse says 3,000 people got involved in this thing the first day. 3,000. And then the very last verse right to you said, every day new people joined the bandwagon. Ooh. Now, how in the world did they know everybody's needs? How in the world could they have all things common when you got that amount of people jumping on all at the same time? We have a hard time keeping track of the 300 people who just come to this place on a Sunday morning. I've heard it say, I didn't even know they went to our church. they go to our church? Really? They go to second service? Because I, I go to first service. I've never, I, don't, I didn't realize it. Wow. And so we just have a hard time. Now, how in the world do you keep that connectiveness together when you got that kind of thing going on? We're on a microcosm where they're dealing with the book of Acts. 300 is a lot of different, big, different number than 3,000. And they keep adding to it every day. But see, that's what we want. Am I telling the truth? Is that what we want? We want to add to the church daily those who are being saved. Listen, uh, the pastors, I, I, I just feel like, like Ross County, I feel like we're just like that close to seeing God doing some amazing things. I mean, I feel like this, this week we, we, we met as pastors on, on Tuesday morning. The group just continues to grow subtly and slowly. There's a core group of guys, and the core group is getting bigger and bigger, it seems like. And every week it seems like there's a new dimension added to it, and there's something else going on, and there's a different level of intimacy between us as pastors. And it's just really cool. And I just, I go, wow, it's just awesome. This week one of the pastors said, you know, I, I've been thinking about it. I've been praying about it. How we can, can, can grow, grow in what we're doing here. Not, not numbers necessarily, but just in the depth and the intensity and the spirit of what's happening. And, he said, I was just thinking, maybe we should just start with the book of Acts. My ears perked up. I thought, well, we've been camping out there lately. That's pretty cool. He said, and just take a paragraph at a time, not a whole chapter, not a, and not get in some deep theological debate about what, what it means and, what, and, and, and find the places that we disagree on. Let's read a passage of Scripture. Let's look at it intensely. Let's ask God to speak to us through each other, through it, and see where God might take us, since that's where he started with the, the original church. And my heart went, and then around the room, check this out. You want to, there's, been, there's a pastor that meets with us for the last three or four years, has been going every Tuesday morning after he prays with us to go meet the mayor, the mayor, okay? At first, he said it started as a, a five-minute get-together. He'd let him pray for him, and then boom, everybody went about their business. He said over time, it's grown to a half an hour, sometimes 45 minutes, and check this out. I don't know what you've been hearing about the mayor and all that stuff, and, you know, things rumble. And he needs help. He needs Jesus really bad. I'm not going to lie about that. But check this out. He's been showing up at this pastor's church almost every Sunday for three or four months. 
And I make the correlation to the church is coming together and God's adding to it daily those who are being saved. Maybe he's not quite there yet, but he's making those steps towards that. And I know this pastor well enough. He not, he's not pulling no guff with the, with the man. He's not being politically correct. He's not being, he's shooting straight. I believe that with all my heart. You know what else happens? The, the, one, the, 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 the pastor's praying with the, with, the, with the sheriff in town. Shows up at the law enforcement center. Prays with the sheriff and some of his big dudes there. And what's happened over the last few weeks? Detectives and deputies and people there at the law enforcement center know that he's coming. They've been leaving post-it notes. Please pray for... And I got a call from a, from a pastor after that meeting on Tuesday. He's like, Aaron, would you like totally like meet me at the firehouse on Tuesday morning? I talked to one of the guys at the firehouse, and I was wondering like if once a month or something we could just go and show up there before we go pray for the pastors, and we go pray for the fire department. Would that be okay with you? I'm like, dude, I'm in. I'm all the way in. Yeah. I will meet you at the firehouse on the Water Street. Yeah. I said, call me when everything's in place. He said, dude, I'll, I'll be right. We'll do it. And I said, all right. So listen, I'm telling you, when we start getting together, the Lord will start adding what he wants to us. And it may not all, and I'm not worried about them being political officials, except for they, they're going to set the tone for where we go from here. As far as anything else, they're just everyday people. They need Jesus just like me and you do. Am I right? But it's neat to see God at work in somebody's life, isn't it? Huh? Isn't it? Well, anyhow, our, as followers of Christ, we have a purpose. We, have, we talk about worship and discipleship. The next two are inextricably linked, too. They're called fellowship and ministry. Fellowship and ministry work hand in hand. The next one we're going to talk about next week is evangelism. We're going to talk about how that works outside in the context of a connection group and how God will help us evangelize through that. And maybe we'll see what happens with Christine, is that her name? Here, at that chair. Listen. Jesus said to follow him and to love one another. Did he say, did he say that? Matthew 13, 34. New command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. <laughs> so how do we grow in this love? You follow me, Jason? I don't know if this thing is working. I keep messing with it. Every time I mess with it, it doesn't work. Love is developed best through close association and relationship. Am I right? In a close quarters kind of a format. Am I telling the truth? So if we're going to grow as disciples, if we're going to grow in love for God, if we're going to grow in love for another, how easy is that going to be to accomplish right here, right now? Is this very close? And I got three people sitting over here, and there's a big gap. And I got three people sitting right there, and then I got three people sitting right back. There's a big group of people. I did take a shower this morning. The rest of you can move closer if you want to. I usually take one every Sunday, just so you know. The worst thing that might happen to you is I might get dry mouth and start spitting a little white stuff at you before the service is over. And somebody even jokingly said to me one time, we'll get, we'll get them face shields there, and that way everything will be covered. And I said, okay. Listen, it's hard to accomplish that close, loving relationship staring again at the back of somebody's head. You know why that is? Because we can't really get to know each other. You can't sit in here for an hour and a half on a Sunday or two hours or however long you might be here on a Sunday and really make a connection. You just can't. Imagine for just a minute, how many of you have ever been to like a, a football game? High school, college, pro, otherwise. 
How many of you have ever been to a concert with thousands of people? How many of you have ever been to some sort of a conference or something like that where there's lots of people there? How many of you have been to a political rally and there's been lots of people there? Okay. How many of those people you walk away with going, dude, we are such good friends now? Has that ever happened? You just show up, walk through the gate, walk out going, dude, we are like tight. You are my bro. Yes. Huh? Only in a concert? Yeah. Maybe in a football game, you might find, if you guys are really wild at a Buckeye game or a Michigan game, probably not a Cleveland Browns game right now, you know, you belly bump with somebody you didn't know. Yeah! But my, my guess is you didn't walk away going, dude, next day, bro, today life just really stinks. That ever happened? Probably not. So we need this close quarters. What helped the early church grow? They had fellowship. Listen to these words. I found this from the, the, the Bible Exposition Commentary. Believers needed to use the temple for their place of assembly and ministry, but they also met in various homes. The 3,000 new converts needed instruction in the Word and fellowship with God's people if they were to grow, and listen to this next line, and become effective witnesses. They needed both. They needed corporate assembly, and they needed, they needed the, the, the fellowship of the brethren to be effective. So you can have all the knowledge, all the training you want, but if you don't learn to grow that thing in the context of your inter reaction, inter 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 interpersonal relationships and actions and reactions with people, it will mean nothing to you except be head knowledge. It's just the truth. And you become an effective witness the more you learn to interact with the people God loves. The early church did more than make converts. They also made disciples, he adds there. Two, two phrases in Acts made the explanation. The breaking of bread, he said it probably refers to their regular meals. When you go to a home group, a connection group, you'll find that we eat. And most of the time we eat pretty good. Can I get some amens on those of you who go to? Ernie's like, brother, count me in, man. There's something about that element of fellowship that surrounds the table. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter, or Matthew, Revelation chapter 3? You guys remember? He's writing a letter to the church. He says, I'm standing at the door of somebody's house. Again, creating that personal, like, I want to be a part of your real life, not just part of your social life, your public life. I want to get in close, personal. I'm knocking on the door of your house. And what did he say? And if you let me in, I'll come in and I'll do... I will dine with you. Is that what he said? There's something about that element of gathering around the table together. It also makes reference, he says, to the, to the, the remembrance of the Lord's body, what we would call the Lord's Supper or communion. There was, there was both, both things were attached to that. He says bread and wine were the common fare at a Jewish table. The word fellowships, fellowship means much more than just being together. So we can be together here, but fellowship takes being together to a whole. As Ed Young, anybody watch Ed Young? Anybody listen to Ed Young? From, from Dallas, he's a preacher. I kind of like him a lot. I kind of, I've enjoyed listening to him over the course of a few years. He says, a whole nother level. See, what Jesus had planned in the New Testament was not just being together. He wanted to take that being together to a whole nother level. It wasn't just about, you know, associating the same place, going to the same places. He said, I want you to have life on life contact. I want you to have interaction. So they broke bread together. 
they had communion together, they co- and they had prayer together. Listen to this. Did you read that? They said they continued daily in the apostles' doctrine, in the breaking of bread, in fellowship, and prayer. Did you catch that? The first part's all about the discipleship part of it. The second part is all about this interpersonal connection stuff. And here's the deal. I asked my, my father-in-law if I could share this story today. Here's where prayer comes in, because you can't, like sitting right here right now, most of you have no idea the prayer needs of people around you. I mean, look down the aisle way right now. Look either way. Actually, it going on. I got this. And they, there we go. And they, um, they were not getting along. Things were difficult. Things were bad. I remember one time in January, I just looked at Rachel and I just said, "Listen, I, something's got to give here." So I'd, I'd sit there and and be with her, and I watch her ball and watch her cry. And I said, I don't know, I don't know what to do. I feel like every time I, I let you get in, begin to interact, you just get hurt again, and I'm just done with it. As a husband, I'm just done. I don't know what to say. At the end of that month of January, at that time in our group, our connection group, we were, we were doing, we still are doing these things called prayer sheets. And in the context of that group, my wife, though she's a very private person, she don't let everybody know her trash, she said, something's got to give here. And she began to describe to our group that one Sunday night about the situation between her and her dad. That was in January. And so we would pray. We'd take these prayer needs, and we would pray for one another. And we'd list them, and we'd keep them in our Bibles. And when we were doing our devotions, we'd pray for those needs everybody put out there. And we'd keep praying and keep praying. Well, check this out. They haven't had too much interaction. One day in July, Rachel gets a phone call from her dad. Right around her birthday. And he said, I, I just want to take you out for your birthday. And normally that meant all of us would get together. We'd go out to eat someplace. And we said, we'll have to check Aaron and see where her schedule's at and stuff like that. He said, no, I, I don't mean Aaron. I just mean just you. And they went out to dinner that night, five months later, six months later. They sat in his garage, and all the junk of the past and the garbage of the stuff crumbled down. Due to no, listen, nobody prompted anything except asking God through the power of the Holy Spirit to change it. We didn't make any phone calls. We didn't go beat down his door. We didn't do anything. The people of God gathered around us as a family, and they said, we'll pray about that with you. And today... Today, they have the relationship with one another they've always dreamed of. Rick wasn't going to church here at the time. He sits right over there every Sunday morning on first service now. He and his wife are coming. It's amazing how God took that. So when it says they prayed for, they prayed for, they, they, they had conversation to God with and about one another. We've seen that happen in our own lives as a direct result of the home group, of the connection group ministry. I'm convinced that's why that happened. 
Those people prayed. I'm looking at Jan Zimmerman right there, sitting back there right now. She told me after service last week, several years ago, she was, she, she was taking care of her mom in Mansfield. She wasn't even here all the time like she wanted to be. And her mom was very sick. And she had her, Jan herself had taken some medication. And unbeknownst to anybody here, people in her connection group felt just compelled to pray for her one night. And they prayed and they prayed and they didn't know why. She had an allergic reaction that very night to this medication. Almost died. Her throat began to swell shut. My belief is if Jan, even though she was separated by distance, in spirit, they were still with her. They still were her spiritual family. And they knew the spirit of God well enough to know that God said, pray and pray now. And they did. And there Jan sits today. So that's why you need that connection of a group. Some of you feel like maybe you've passed through the cracks or something's happened. And you don't feel very connected. Find a group. It's good for you. This is the model that Jesus built the church on. The temple together, the house together, the, the, the big corporate setting, the close intimate setting. This is how he started the thing. And if he started and it worked, why did we break it? Why did we break it? Nancy told you a few weeks ago about Dr. Cho's church, the largest church in the world, 800,000 people. You know what they're built on? Small groups, cell groups. Talked about Saddleback and how they got 150% more people going to their groups and they got coming to their church. And when you got like 20,000 people coming to your church in the United States, that's a pretty significant amount of people. You know? Think about that. Fellowship, the reason that closeness, the reason fellowship and ministry go hand in hand is because that closeness creates opportunities for ministry. Here's how that works. See, they had all things in common. They each used what God entrusted them with for the benefit of the people around them. See, just I just told you we didn't have a home group tonight. My, my older son had a rough night Friday night. And we took him to the doctor first thing yesterday morning. Found he's got bronchitis. His pulse rate, after we got to the doctor, was like 135. And his pulse ox was at 94. Some of you, that may not mean anything. But the way I understand it is, Anything below 97 is not good. 135 beats a minute of pulse rate for a little fellow who's three years old. He could hear his heart. Shh. They gave him a breathing treatment right there in the, in, in the office. Man just hooked him up right now. Boom. Things. The doctor said, I want to, do you guys have a nebulizer? And we're like, nope. Here's the funny thing. Because we're in a home group together, we know that somebody in our home group has one of those. So the doctor prescribes albuterol, an antibiotic, and a steroid for Caleb. And we go home, make a phone call, said, hey, we know you guys got one of these things. We have need. Can we, have, can we, can we borrow that? Sure. We're going to go out and get one, but they're kind of expensive. Don't go buy that thing. We got one. You're crazy. You know what's funny about that? We, I go get it. We take it. We give him the, the next treatment at 1 o'clock. He's doing great. Later in the afternoon, that same family, they, the wife shows up at our house with all these neat little trinkets and toys. This is the thing you can plug into the wall. Vicks, it'll vaporize the room all day long while the kids are in there and keep them clear and little breathe right patches and even some pretzels to snack on and 
You know why that happened? Because we're a part of this spiritual family called a connection group. And we had need. And we knew them well enough to know they had something that would help our need. We ask. They supply it. We get what we have need of on a very, not spiritual necessarily, but a very physical level. Is that craziness? Isn't that amazing how God does? They had all things common. Now, all who believed were together and had all things common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them all as anyone had need. I just experienced that in the last 24 hours. And it is so stinking cool. Just really cool. Some of you are sitting here going, well, we didn't even know. You know what? You didn't need to necessarily. We got it over and taken care of because we knew where to go to get it taken care of. And he's doing better today. We don't have him at the church because the steroid him one has supposedly depleted his immune system. We thought the last thing we need to do is get him around some other people and let him share what he has. That could be bad. There are certain things you don't want to share. Bronchitis is one of them. So we left him at home today. See, you're in this family. Everyone has a part to play. Everyone has a role to fill. Everyone has a need to meet. Everyone has a gift to give. Every one of you. Some of you may feel like, dude, I don't even know if anybody knows I'm here. You know what? Get into a group. We'll know. I have a hard time keeping track of everybody. I see every face every Sunday morning who's in the building almost. And I have to make a list sometimes. Go, okay, I need to call that person. I haven't seen him for a while. And I keep trying to keep track, but it's hard sometimes. But you know what? You get, you get in a group of 10 or 12 people and you miss. They find out real fast. What's up? Where are you? What's going on? Is everything okay? You usually don't miss. What's happening? And all of a sudden, you've fixed that connection problem. Romans 8, no, Romans 12 says this. For as we have many members in one body, all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually, individually members of one another. Having then gifts different from the grace that God has given to us, let us use them. And he goes through a list. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. I have seen people get prayed for and get words in a group that have changed their entire situation. God has just proclaimed his word over them as the group gathered around and prayed for them. You know, even this week, I don't see Brian and Letha sitting here. Letha was in the hospital earlier this week. What was the cool, one of the coolest things about that? I want to go see him on Tuesday afternoon when it first came up. I go to walk out, and guess who's walking in? Their group leaders. And guess what? Their group leaders leave, leave, come and go. Another family from the church come in and check up on them that night. And they keep, and it's, it's, the cycle keeps going on. And, and you know why? Because each of them are giving, they're using what God's given them. Sometimes it's just a smile. Sometimes it's just a hug. But sometimes it's something powerful and powered by the Holy Spirit, like a word of prophecy or a prayer in a time of sickness. He says, give to, all of us should give as we have opportunity. Listen, our ministry, let us do it for ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows with mercy and cheerfulness. Verse 9 says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints be given to hospitality. He's saying, let's grow this family thing. Let's minister to one another as a family. Most of you wouldn't let your family go without something. I look around the room. I know most of you pretty well. 
If your son or daughter calls, you're like, dude, okay, we'll help you take care of that as much as we possibly can. And you'll do that. The same thing should be happening in the case of your spiritual family. Are you with me? Listen. Here's other connections. Our connection groups give you the opportunity to know and to be known. Dr. Egg Riches, how many of you guys were here for that, that video seminar we did, I don't know, two winters ago? The Love and Respect Seminar, remember that? Dr. Egg Riches made a point there that day. It says this, someone who feels loved feels understood. And someone who feels understood feels loved. Okay? Here's the point. Maybe some of you don't feel really loved right now, but maybe you haven't given anybody the opportunity to understand you. And maybe you're looking for opportunities to love people, but you don't put yourself in a position to know them. Is that possible? See, the group gives you a place to be known. My wife wouldn't share what was going on with her dad in front of everybody in the church. But brother, in that group, she would let her heart be seen and felt. Some of you are struggling with things, and you need that close personal contact. The other thing it does is within that group that it's easily recognized that you have a need or are missing. In that group, it's easy to figure out when you're not around, when you have need, when you're doing something. It also is this. It's also much easier for you to be aware of others and use your gifts and talents to help them. Again, I reaped the benefit of that just yesterday. Somebody had resources that I did not have personally and myself to take care of and were able to supply that just on a real practical, a real, real, real level of life. It's powerful. Here's the thing. In 1 John, you'll find, I found in my Bible, there's, this, there's a subheading. It says it's the outworking of love. By this we know, verse 16 of 1 John 3, which is kind of neat to me because John 3, 16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? Listen to 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. Wow, what a parallel scripture, huh? And we are also to lay down our lives for the brethren. There's that terminology again. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let's not love in word or, or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this, we know that we are of the truth because we're, we're helping each other out. We're walking this thing out. We're so close, we can be called brothers. We're so close, we can be called, the next line, verse 21, beloved. If our heart condemns us, does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive for him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Now listen to this. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. There it is again. So what's my point? My point is we need to love each other. We start out by loving God. We start out by loving others. And the best two formats to grow in this love and to grow in that love, the best way to do that is find yourself in a group of people, small and intimate, that are going in the same direction you're going, who have similar issues, who have similar problems, who have similar uh, things going on in their lives. That's how we do it. That's how we accomplish what we need to accomplish. It's amazing how God works. It's amazing what he does. Listen. Jason, you have some testimonies ready? Can you show them for us? Let's listen to some other people, just some, some common faces around here who are involved in a group, 
and can give you a bear witness that how valuable that, that setting is.